engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 201. And today, we are discussing the latest in the Holyfield saga. We're going to chat about managing relationships with neighboring hunters, our thoughts on big buck mania, physical fitness, and hunting, and much, much more. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today in the show, we are talking. <laughs> so, special interruption. We are talking about something different than we originally planned on. We had a special topic and a guest lined up for today's show. And so, me and Dan recorded a full intro. With that all in mind, and then the last minute after recording that introduction, the interview and guest fell through. So, being so very quick on our toes, me and Dan decided that we could still pull off an episode with a full BS session. So, that is what we did. And I, I gotta say, I think it actually turned out pretty darn good. So, so don't worry, this one is still worth listening to. Um, we do cover some very exciting news. Uh, if you follow Wired Hunt and other places, you already know. But if the podcast is your only touch point, you are in for a surprise. Um, although maybe the title gives things away. <laughs> um, so there's news. Uh, we also talk about some some interesting things that we haven't touched on before related to some controversy and challenges with neighbors. Um, we talk about this tricky topic of working with or against neighbors when it comes to hunting and managing deer. Uh, we talk about quote-unquote big bucks and hunting goals. Um, and we just talk about a lot, lot more. So yeah, uh, we didn't cover what we planned on covering, but it's still something that I think, uh, turned out pretty good. So enough of me, I'm going to throw it back to our originally recorded interview. And then, um, we're just going to kind of roll as best as possible from there with a couple little skips and changes. Um, but we're just going to get going with it. No matter where you're at, we're all going to be able to learn something today. So, so I'm pumped about that, Dan. Um, but before we get on the line, we need to have our little pregame show here. And 
I have something exciting to share today, Dan. But before we get to that, I want to make sure you get a chance. Um, do you have anything you want to make sure we talk about here? Uh, nothing real serious. You know, here's something that's been bouncing around. And this this could be a longer conversation at some point. But I'm putting a little bit of thought. I don't know about it. It just kind of bumped into my head about potentially looking for a lease this year uh, in Iowa. And... I, to be honest with you, it's something I've never had to do before, and I don't know if I am or not, but it's something that I'm bouncing around, and to be honest with you, I don't even know where to start to look for like land that people have up for lease. Mm, yes, that is a tricky topic. It's, a, it's one of those things where some people get all um, bent out of shape about leases right. or the idea like, so, I mean, like you said, this could be a whole big separate kind of conversation, but right, right. some people get really upset about the fact that people lease out their property to deer hunt. And I can understand that, uh, because it is right. Access is getting harder and harder throughout a lot of places in the country to deer hunt, unless you live somewhere where there's a ton of public land, like right. some portions of the Northeast around Maine or New York and places like that, where there's great public access. That's, awesome. But if you live like where I am in Michigan or you in Iowa, there's not as much of that. Um, and we've talked a lot about trying to get permission on property. And I know you do a lot of that, but sometimes it's a, it's not sometimes it's always a challenge. Yeah. Right. Um, what, what made you, what is making you want to take this next step though? Did, are you losing access to something you had permission on or do you just want something a little higher quality or what? There's been rumblings on one of the farms that I hunt, not the main one, but on some other ones that they might sell it. And that's that's roughly 300 acres that I won't have access to anymore. You know, and, and I go, you know, sometimes it's good to have a lot of options, um, especially for me where, you know, if if because of the main farm that I do share, if the other two guys are there and they're sitting in a, a good spot, I, you know, I. I'm pretty much just hunting the outskirts because they have their ladder stands that they go to every time for the most part. And I try to work around them and I've had had success over that over the time, over the years. But I just, I don't know. I've never had a hunting season before in my life. And all the public land guys are going to look at me now like, Dan, you're such a huge pussy. Stop talking (laughs) right now. You know what I mean? Because they deal with that shit every year. But, but I've never had control, a hundred percent control. And what I mean by that is not necessarily other hunters, but maybe the ability to plant a food plot or do some habitat work and, and see how that being able to play around with that portion of hunting. And I don't know, it's just something that I've been playing around with. Maybe I do that. Maybe I go on an extra out of state hunt. I don't know. We'll see. Um, just things that I've been thinking about. Recently. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, I've had that desire a lot too. Where I've always, I've always not wanted to have to pay for hunting access, so I've always tried to get free permission. But at the same time, there's that dream, right? You watch these guys that own land or something and can do the stuff you said. You know, actually manage a property and do. I mean, there's something really fun about that. There's something really fun about hunting a new spot and just figuring it out right. and figuring out what the deer are doing. But there's also something fun about having a property you really get to know and that you get to make some changes to and hunt that, you know, in, in more of a management type way. I mean, I get a kick out of both, but it's right. hard. It's really hard to do 
that whole management thing unless you have a lease or you have something you own. Um, but it's tough to find a lease, dude. It's tough. Yeah, I, right. for a long time, for years, I was trying to find leases. Um, well, I was trying to get regular permission, but I always thought, you know, if I could find a lease that's reasonable, I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to pay a little, little money to have a, a quality spot. Um, just cause it's tough to find quality spots around here that aren't already getting slammed. Um, but man, you almost can't find it. Like I, I, right. I, I've saved money to be able to do it in the past and just never found a place. No, never found someone who'd take my money to allow me to hunt. Um, you know, there's all these different websites, leasing networks and stuff where you can find these properties, but those are kind of tough sometimes because they're usually auction sites. So prices get bid up really high and like every year you need to renegotiate. Um, and I think they can, I think I, I've never done it myself, so I don't know exactly. I could be wrong, right. on this, but I think I've seen where, um, the property will go back up to auction every year or you'll be forced to pay an increase every year. And that has always kind of turned me off. Um, the property that I found my little lease down in Southern Ohio, I found that just by asking people for years, if they knew of any place that might have permission access or might have a lease. And I just, I'd talk to everyone down in that area. I'd meet, I'd ask about, and I met a real estate agent who, um, I, said, Hey, if you ever hear of anything, a small property or a small lease or something, let me know. And then like two or two years later or something, I bumped, I, I bumped into him via email again and I was like, Hey, just checking in. And he's like, Oh, I just happened to hear something like that. And that's how I found that little spot. Right. Um, but man, I don't know how much longer that one's going to last. So, yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the county that I live in versus the county that I hunt in are worlds apart, right? I live in between two huge, I'm not going to say huge, big for Iowa, city centers, right? And the county that I live in is pretty much spoken for. Everything is spoken for. And if you do get permission, there's three or four other guys on it, right? Yeah. You know, it sounds a lot like Michigan. But I got access to some public land that's closer to home, but the public land is overwhelmed throughout the year. And I'm just trying to, I don't know. I, I I'm the more I talk about it. And this is one of those things where here's, what's going to happen. I'm going to do some research on it. I'm going to think about it. And then because I'm a, like such a cheap ass, I won't go through with it unless I, you know, find something really, really good. And at that point, I don't know. I'll probably decide not to do it. But like I said, it's just something I've been thinking about. Yeah, well, keep us posted. I got to believe that stuff probably isn't going to be too cheap out in your neck of the woods. Oh, no, absolutely not. And it's everybody is getting keen to it. You know, for the most part, if I, you know, I'm, I'm a local guy, right? I'm from Iowa. So I, I can have a community, you know, I can communicate with these people and say, Hey, I went to high school with your grandson or, you know, I, uh, I know so-and-so or, Hey, you know, Hey, didn't you used to work with my dad or something like that? And that, that's a good in for getting permission. But, you know, now these people are like, I can give you permission or I can, set, you know, lease it to who cares who I lease it to. Cause I'll be making money. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It's uh, and here's, here's another thing that I've been running into lately. And I know I'm taking up a lot of time here, but, um, I knock on someone's door and I say, Hey man, I'm just curious if you allow bow hunting on your property. No, we already have somebody who hunts our property. Okay, cool. Uh, 
you know, you know, can I go turkey hunting or shed hunting? Yeah, you can go shed hunting. That's yeah. okay. So I go shed hunting. And then through shed hunting, I see that there's no tree stands on the property. Right. There's no there's no sign of anybody hunting the property, but yet they kind of wrap all hunting. Even though I tell them I'm just a bow hunter, I don't want to gun hunt, there's still something that I need to do better as a, I guess selling myself to allow myself to get on some of these pieces that, you know, oh, we already have someone on or, you know, we don't, you know, we save it for the family, yet nobody hunts that piece of property. So do you, when you go up and knock on these doors, what do you do about your uh, your four-fingered hand? Do you hide that or oh, do, no. you, do you like just stick it in their face and like wave it in front of their eyes? Because maybe you're just nope. scaring these people off nope. with the old snapping turtle. Nope, nope, nope. Here's how <laughs> – dude, it's, it has the opposite effect. I go to shake the hand. They notice it, and I tell them I'm from the area. They automatically assume that it got caught in some kind of farm equipment. Okay. Therefore, I have street cred. So this is your end. This is your end. That's end. my end. That's part of my end. Ah, you're lucky. Then you're very lucky. I don't have that that's, kind of thing. Dude, I'm telling you, you need to cut a finger off. <laughs> or grow a beard. Unfortunately, I don't want to lose a finger. I can't grow a beard. I look like I'm 12. Um, I'm doomed as far as getting permission. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, this whole conversation, you know, the fact that it's harder and harder to get access, the fact that more and more properties are getting leased up and it's getting expensive in a lot of country, parts of the country, this just goes back to, again, why both you and I care so much about trying to keep the places that we do have public. We got to make sure those places stay public. We got to make sure they stay available and healthy um, because this, this issue is not going away. Like right. access is going to get harder and harder and harder. So I, mean, I don't want to be the guy who says this, but it is becoming a pay to play type sport. The more I look into it and try to get into it, I mean, you can either go out and buy land and as easy as some of the past guests make it seem, you know, like, hey, you know, buying hunting ground is easy. It's really not that easy uh, when you when you think about it. you got you still have to have money in your budget to pay for it. Uh, and it's about priorities. Right. But still, then then leasing, if you want to hunt. I mean, I've lost several properties in the past that uh, either have been purchased and new hunters have come in or have been leased out. And they say, well, we're going to lease it now. And, yep. and you can lease it if you want, but uh, we're going to lease it. And then obviously back in the day, I couldn't afford it. So Yeah, no, I've had the same thing happen. But I think it it comes down to one of two things. Like, I, I, to, to your point, like, yes, it is becoming more and more pay to play. But I do want to make sure that people listening don't think that's how it has to be. Because <laughs> you can still get it done without Absolutely. owning or like – I think episode 200 was a perfect example of that. Those guys hunt all public or by permission, and they're just killing it. And right. Hale, who we're going to talk to today, he's hunting public land. I mean, I think it just means you got to work harder and work in different ways to make it happen. But you can still, you can still have a great, you know, great hunting opportunities. This is different, right? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, dude, I hear you, and um, I have a story to tell today that comes off of a little piece of property that I got permission on. Many years ago, um, that is a nice little success story. Okay, and I want to share that with you today, Dan. Okay, I want to hear it. So many, many years ago, I saw a buck, nice eight point buck, came out into a food plot. This is a property I had permission on, but I did have permission to plant food plots and stuff. 
This is the night before hunting season, 2015. This buck stepped out. I was watching from a hillside off in the distance scouting. I said, that's a nice looking eight point deer. The next night, opening night of bow season, I killed another buck. Because I killed that buck, I decided not to shoot that nice eight point deer. That December, I decided to call that eight point buck Holyfield. In oh, okay. 2000, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> in, right, 2000, right. in 2016, we talked about him forever. I chose not to kill him by the end of the season. In 2017, I hunted him all season. We've talked about him for the entire yep, year. Yep. And several podcast episodes, you and me talked about how I believe that deer is dead. After right. three years of hunting him, I thought he was dead and gone. I thought the neighbor shot him. I was pretty bummed about it. I moved on. Honest to goodness. I really 100% was like, all right, it's done. And then last week, I was kind of having like a, one of those days at work, and I work at home, but um, one of those days at work where I was kind of like, blah, like just, it was like four o'clock, and I wasn't having a very good day, just wasn't super productive, wasn't really into it. I was like, you know what, I just need to go get some fresh air, take a walk. So I took my dog and went over to this property, and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to kind of walk some edges, stay out of the good stuff. I'm not going to bump any deer. I just want to go for a little walk along like some cornfield edges and um, a little bit of a few timber spots just just to enjoy it for a little bit. And I'm walking through the stand of pines, and I see tines sticking out of the snow right next to the this trunk of a tree. I walk over, I pull this shed out, and... Man, I still like have a hard time believing this, but I was holding Holyfield's 2017 antler. He made it. He's alive. You, uh, did, what was your reaction? Like, here's what here's what happens when I find a, a shed of any kind of notoriety, whether it's big or I recognize it. I do kind of like a double take with a oh yeah, like a just a whoa yeah oh. <laughs> You know, something real, real calm, right? Because I don't want to share, I don't want to scare the rest of the sheds that I'm looking for. Away. Right, right. <laughs> so, 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 what was your reaction when you when you pulled this? When what I like to call, I learned this term from some guys in Wisconsin. They're, they call it scooping up there. Uh, we're gonna go do some scooping, mm-hmm. and they just, you know, they they walk in the woods and they scoop antlers. So when you scooped this this uh, antler, what 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 was your sound? Did you make a sound? Man, I didn't make, it was weird. Usually I do, usually I like hoot and holler. I'm so excited about it. But I think because I, it was a shock. I wasn't even looking for sheds. I just was out for a little walk. So I wasn't even, I mean, I, once I was out there, I was like, well, I better keep an eye out just in case, but I wasn't expecting anything. Um, and so it was just like, whoa, there's an antler. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And then, oh man, that looks like a nice antler. But I could just see the tips of the tines sticking out. Everything else was covered with snow. When I pulled it out, I was like, holy crap, this is one of the, this is the number one or number two, like best shed I've ever found in Michigan. I can't believe this. And then as I'm looking at it, I'm like, I remember looking at the base, like near the base and the brow tine and thinking, no way. Like this, what I'm seeing looks very, very familiar, but it couldn't be possible. And I just sat there kind of took, turning around in my hand, like, I must be wrong. I must be wrong. I must be wrong. But I kept saying this, this looks like Holyfield, this deer I've, I've hunted for three years, this deer that I've obsessed over for so long a time. There's no way I'm actually holding his antler and that he actually is alive. I thought, I thought it was done, but 
I ended up pulling up my phone and went back and looked at old pictures of his because the second thing I thought was, okay, maybe this is actually his antler, but it must be from 2016. This must be an old antler because yeah. the ends of his tines, of three, two of his tines were, were very chewed. Um, but I looked at the at the pedicle and the base looked fresh. I'm like, man, this looks fresh. The antler looks great except for the chew marks, but there's no way. So I go and I look back at the pictures. And then when I pulled up, I've got a picture that compares his uh, trail camera photo from 2015, 16, and 17. And that's when I remembered that his left side in 2016, his main beam was busted off the last like four or five inches of it. And this was the left side. So this was, this had to be his 17 antler because it wasn't busted. Um, So then I started like giggling i started like laughing like a little school child like <laughs> i like couldn't... you gotta be bullshitting me oh man it was nuts i just sat there just like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> just doing that for like five minutes yeah. um and then I, it just kind of took my whole like stoke level for the 2018 season to a different place i was just so like re- rejuvenated with like a new excitement um that he's still out there and uh, I did some more walking around a little bit. Didn't find any more antlers, but um, you got to match them up, dude. I would love to match them up. So once the snow melts, we just got dumped on with. We've got like the most snow I've had here in this area probably since I moved down here. Um, so once the snow melts, I'm gonna be getting after it hard. So yeah, just this, imagine, this just imagine things. the Holyfield match set sitting right next to the Mark Kenyon match set. That would be a pretty sweet sight. That's a that's like a whole shelf. You need to build a shelf just for those. <laughs> I know. Those there's a there's some serious bone here we're talking about. I know, man. It just yeah, it changes things. I'm excited. I, I'll tell you, I already started thinking as soon as I found it, and as soon as I was like, okay, Holyfield's alive, the hunt is still going. One of the first things I thought though was, I'm not going to get so obsessed about him again. Like blah, I, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Like, dude, it's, it's February, right? You have all summer to think about it and change your mind. I mean, yeah. And, and knowing my nature, I'm very likely to get all worked up about it again, but I just feel like he's, the odds are so slim. There's so many other factors. I, I, I don't want to get so worked up about it as negative I was last year. Thoughts, negative thoughts, negative uh, thoughts, dude. But just tra- kill what the son of a bitch. Well, well, that would be the best option. <laughs> But I, I'm just trying. Maybe I'm just trying to prepare myself for, um, like I wanna I wanna enjoy this season more than I did last year. And, and like looking, what's funny is, I last week after finding Holyfield sheds, I went back and looked at the footage, and I realized that I have not looked at any of my footage from last season, not since October. So everything that happened from October, this is late October through the end of December. I've never once went back and looked at any of it because I was so bitter, I think. I was so like, Bleh. Like, I didn't even want to. So I, I had never even looked back at the videos I had of Holyfield for my encounters with him last year. I just, you know, just wasn't in a good place. So right. I finally went back and looked at it. I'm like, oh, man, this is so cool getting to see the relive these experiences and stuff again. And I, I don't want to be in that place again where, like, I was so obsessed during the season, so wound up with just the ultimate goal that I wasn't enjoying it. And I... And I say I wasn't enjoying it. I mean, I was still enjoying it. I, I love every single time I'm out there hunting. But I was just allowing myself to get so um, overstressed when it comes to it. So this year, yeah, I'm going to do a ton of work to try to kill this deer. But I am going to not view like the ultimate, um, 
I don't know. What am I trying to say? I'm not going to let that define like my season. I'm still going to go do other stuff. I'm not going to cancel all my other trips just because I have right. to kill this deer. I'm still going to go do some more fun stuff out of state. Um, if a different nice buck shows up in the area, I'm not opposed to shooting a different deer. Um, I'm not going to, this isn't going to be Holyfield or bust this year. It's going to be, I really would like to kill Holyfield. I'm going to do everything I can, but I'm approaching the 2018 season more as I want to have a fun, exciting, <laughs> diverse hunting season. That's at least what I'm saying today. <laughs> you, you know why I'm laughing? Because you think... here's what's, here's what's going to happen. You have all these plans already about going and doing fun things and you're not going to put any pressure on yourself. And, and chase Holyfield in this year, that bastard is going to have his biggest rack and he's going to straight <laughs> blow up and you're going to like, this is like, a this is the biggest Michigan buck I've ever seen in my entire life. And you know, yeah, you're right. Know, I'm probably going to get all crazy about it again. <laughs> you're going to get worked up again. Well, I certainly, hey. I've never had a buck like this. You know, this will be, I've never anywhere I've hunted had a buck that I've followed for four years in a row. So this will be the right. longest history I've ever had with a buck. Um, and it already, already was the, the deepest history. And now adding another year, this just takes it to a whole nother level. He'll be the oldest Michigan buck I've ever had a chance to actively hunt. Um, so right. I'm excited, right? I'm excited, but I'm excited for you, Mark, man. There's that survivor buck. He made it. He'll be a really nice four year old. There's the mystery giant who's in the neck of the woods who I saw in January. So he survived the hunting season. Um, so there's, there's options. Plus I, I, uh, I'm working on some new permissions that I'll talk about later. Um, I, I might have some new access to some new stuff, but I'm, which I'm excited about. Um, I think it's about time for a, uh, a Dan Johnson, Mark Canyon podcast in a couple weeks. Yeah. Catch up. Given how long we've been talking here in our pregame show. Right. Um, lots to, lots to talk about. So I guess though, we should wrap this one up though, so we can get our guest on. So let's pause here for our sick uh, story of the day. And then we'll get right back at you. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Sitka Ambassador Kyle Hansen, who tells us about harvesting his first buck with archery equipment. November 1st of 2017. Conditions were perfect to go in and hunt a stand that I had hung the weekend prior for a deer that I'd been after named Kong. Kong was the number one target buck for the area that I'd been after. And so on that day, luckily, I was able to get out of work early. And unfortunately, I still got to my stand late at about 3 p.m. But I was only there for about an hour and a half before Kong stepped out in the field. Fortunate for me, Kong ended up bedding out in the middle of this clover plot, only about 50 yards away. He took a nap there for about 45 minutes before he got up and started working his way over towards me. Uh, When he finally came into range, he looked the other way. I drew, held, and I let one fly hit him square broadside and he ran off i was not able to recover him that day however because it was almost nightfall at that point and he ran off into a neighboring property um the following day we were able to recover him without much of a problem although he did end up in some pretty deep ravines and it took the rest of the day to get out on kyle's hunt he was wearing sitka's fanatic system if you'd like to create a sitka story of your own or to learn more about sitka's technical hunting apparel Visit SitkaGear.com. All right. So um, we had a guest lined up, and it kind of fell through, mostly because of my poor planning. So, you got uh, sleep deprivation, man. Yeah. 
you know, I've got a almost a three week old baby. I'm sleeping on the couch. Uh, I'm not, I'm just not functioning very well as a human being, I guess. So no guest. We're going to just do a full Mark and Dan BS episode. So we, we've talked a little bit about how you wanted, how you're thinking about a lease. We talked about me discovering Holyfield's shed. Um, what else do you want to talk about? We could, we could talk Fair. about, well, you got an idea? What do you want to talk I about? I have a question for you. Okay. It's random. Okay. So there's nights when I'm in my office, right? And I, so I, my, my office, my, my desk, my computer is all inside of a closet. It just makes the room easier, right? So sometimes I turn around. Do you ever do this where you just sit and stare at your mounts or your shed antlers and just like replay the memories and stories in your head? Yes, I absolutely dude, do. Dude, that is so fun. And it's like it's it's a form of entertainment that you have to use your own brain. I think that's awesome. No, that that's like my number one reason why I like to mount deer is to be able to visually you know remember or have that visual cue and then you just sit there i spend so much every time i walk into my office i walk through my little man cave and go past these wall mounts and i just stop and stare a lot of the time and just like look and just think about that deer that experience that hunt um unless you're a hunter i can i can i can understand why non-hunters look at that as maybe like huh it's kind of weird but as a hunter i think man they're they're uh they're meaningful I'm pumped. I mean, every time I look at them, I'm pumped, and I'm especially pumped after finding the Holyfield shed. I, my, my, yeah. just, I'm just like, the last week, like I'm always, I'm always pretty excited about deer hunting, <laughs> but usually, like by late December, I'm a little bit burnt out. Like I'm okay. I'm like I start looking at elk hunting magazines, or I start thinking about backpacking trips or fly fishing trips, and then at some point, I get back to 150% whitetail mania, and it hit me like late January, early February, I'm right back to, all right, what can I be doing? What should I be thinking about? I was studying maps last night. My baby was sleeping in his little bassinet in my office. Um, cause me and, did I tell you about my shift system that me and Kylie have now? Uh Oh, to make sure that we can still get some sleep. We've split up the night into like three to four hour increments. So yeah. the first shift I go in my office and I take the kid and try to get him to sleep. And he's actually been doing very well. Knock on wood. He's actually doing really well. So he's been sleeping, but we're in separate rooms so that if he is waking up and making noise, at least the other person can sleep. Um, so he's in bassinet. I'm in my office studying maps, reading the most recent North American whitetail, looking at trail camera pictures. Um, and it's like 11 o'clock at night. So that's where my head's at right now. So what happens when the reality of you not having lactating breasts comes into play here? Mm. Because there are times when, you know, I can stay up with a kid all I want, but if he wants the booby, I don't have the booby. So far, now I don't know if this is going to change. And I want to like ask the universe to for like permission. <laughs> this is like universe please give me permission to speak freely here without jinx. Like I don't want to get okay. jinxed here and have things ruined. But uh, so far, he has not been like bad at all. Like he occasionally like the first few days or early on, there were some times when whenever you laid him down in his bassinet or the pack and play or whatever at night to go to sleep, he would wake up as soon as you laid him down or you lay him down and like 10 minutes later, he'd wake up and start crying. And then as soon as you held him though, if you held him and rocked him a little bit or like held him on your chest or something, he'd fall asleep and he would sleep straight through. Um, 
so that's basically what where it's at. Either he sleeps right away, you put him down and he just conks out and he's out and he sleeps all the way till you wake him up again for his next feeding. Or if he does get fussy and makes noise, I can just pick him up and hold him and then he'll shut back up and go to sleep. So I haven't got to the point yet where he's super upset and will not calm for anything but the but the milk. Um, nice. So knock on wood. That's yeah. You definitely need to well. knock on wood. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see if that changes. But here in the next week or two, um, my wife is going to start pumping. So I'll have the the what do you call it the the bottle as an option. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean he he he. <laughs> I'm just like crossing all my fingers and toes to make sure this doesn't change. But he's been super chill, like really good. I mean, he's lately the last like week or so, like I take him to my room, to my office and put him down. He sleeps the full three hours. Then I go and bring him over to my wife. She feeds him and then he sleeps the straight three hours again. She wakes up again, feeds him. He sleeps straight through after that. I mean, he's been golden lately. Um, so, uh, my little, my little buddy's uh, cooperating well so far, <laughs> you know, I'm, I want to say this. Emmett is his name, right? Uh, Everett. Everett. Okay, yeah. Everett. That's right, Everett. Dude. He's named sa- after you. How could you forget that? Everett well, Daniel. Everett Kenny. Daniel. <laughs> I knew that, right? Okay. All right. Everett. Dude, that name sounds like gunslinger, that's, right? Like yeah. Wild West gunslinger type, yeah. that's, type name. That's what I was thinking. You like that? I like that. Everett Kenyon. Yeah. And, and for short, I think I'm calling him Rhett. So Rhett. Okay. Yeah, Rhett, Rhett Kenyon, I think that's got a Rhett good, Kenyon. a good, uh, ring to it. Everett and, Kenyon. Now uh, I, I apologize in advance of this comment if it's offends somebody, but I really don't care. And, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but, but Everett Kenyon sounds like a Western gunslinger with a little bit of Indian blood in him. Right. <laughs> okay. So, you know, just like, Hey, he, he, he knows everything now. Uh huh. Did, did I ever? I used. Did I ever tell you this? I used to think when I was a kid growing up, I thought for sure my grandpa was a Native American. Like oh, I really? thought, I thought I was a quarter Indian my whole life. Not my whole life, but until I was old enough to realize that wasn't the case. Because he was, he was very dark complected, very tan, and just had a, he had a look that look to him like um, right. I don't know, like you see in in pictures from back in the day of Native Americans, like just a worn leathered yeah. face um and i'm not trying to stereotype or generalize anything now i'm just saying some of these pictures you saw in back in the day um, my grandpa just had that similar look and so i always thought and plus he was this ultimate woodsman i mean he he seemed to know everything about the forest and the woods and deer and fish and everything so as a kid i was like okay my grandpa was a native american um all right let's do this thing <laughs> yeah. um so it makes sense maybe that my son has uh got a little bit of uh a ring to that to his name but interestingly his his first name actually is my mom's maiden name that's what ultimately gave us the idea for it nice so yeah the more you know the more you know but uh hey, how do we start to, on kids yeah because we're we were talking uh, back deer. to mounts yeah mounts and shifts and uh, office you know the kevin bacon thing right it's like you yeah, talk about degrees. kevin five <laughs> degrees of separation or whatever but I never did ask you about what you're doing with your caribou mount. Mm. Yeah, I got it. I got it euro mounted. Okay. And um, the issue with it is it's so big. 
um, and I don't have very tall ceilings in my house, um, that it takes up like two thirds of the wall, like from, from the floor to the ceiling, the, the mount <laughs> takes up two thirds of it. Um, so it's actually in our like dining room on the wall and it actually just started like the anchors that we had it attached to in the wall. One of them started pulling out. So I just had to take it down and it's, it's not on the wall right now. I gotta, I gotta figure out a better way to get it mounted up there, but it's pretty cool seeing that thing every day too. And thinking back on that trip, what Um, is the, did you ever get that scored? Oh no, I've got no No. idea. I've got no idea how to score one of those things because it looks huge and I don't know what I saw a picture on Instagram the other day of a guy who shot a caribou and he's like, Hey, this is Boone and Crockett caribou, uh, top 70 ever taken. And, and then I saw a picture of yours and yours looked bigger than his. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's like that big because we ended up like, I don't know, the last day or maybe the last two days of the trip, we saw another couple caribou that we were like, okay, yeah, that's definitely bigger than the Mm -hmm. ones that we all shot. Um, so this was definitely probably the top percentage or top couple percent of all the caribou bulls we saw, but it wasn't the very, very biggest. But shoot, I don't care. This thing was amazing. <laughs> and it tastes very good. Caribou meat tastes very good. That's what I hear. Yeah, definitely a hunt um, worth trying to get up and do someday. Um, I don't know if I'll, I'll ever be able to do a hunt quite like that again, but it would be cool to get up maybe on the, the north slope. You can go up there's that hall road you can do a hunt off of or something like that. Awesome country. So. Right. But um, but deer. 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 So I want to talk a little bit about uh, your goals right now as far as what you're going to be doing. Because we talked at the very end of the 2017 season kind of about reviewing the past year. And we looked forward a little bit into 2018. But now that we're a couple months in, where's your head at as far as big changes you're making? Like, Already, at least I maybe maybe you haven't done this yet, but I've already been thinking a lot through different things I'm going to be doing differently, like my main projects I want to work on already this spring and summer. Is there anything already top of mind for you that you're focused on? Well, I'm fat right now, and I've just gotten into a good, you know, an eased have eased in to a good workout routine where I'm starting to build the strength up in my legs again because as of right now. I am going to be going to Colorado for an elk hunt and yeah, and it's in some really steep shit. So, um, you know, I can't, I'm not going to be able to just walk up in there and say, you know, similar to what, (laughs) similar to what, uh, you know, our Idaho trip, how, you know, that elevation hits you if you're not used to it and mentally it's almost like you've been defeated. And I worked my ass off as far as my legs were concerned getting ready for that trip. But that elevation, right, you can't you can't prepare for that. So I'm just, again, going to try to get into the best shape of my life, try to lose some weight. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to do it all without taking any gym selfies. <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge, right? <laughs> Man, I'm just – we're just not that type, Dan. I mean – I just don't think either one of us would look very good in them either. <laughs> I mean, I can – maybe I should just do it anyway and, and see what happens. Just start taking a shit ton of gym selfies. My, I I am such a weirdo that my gym selfies – like, okay, so so my workout is every morning I get up, 
and even I'm even trying to do this even with the kid. Um, first thing I do is I get up and I just go to my office and I'm wearing my pajama pants and a t-shirt and and sometimes I put on like some running shoes and then I take like 20 to 30 minutes and I just throw a timer on and I just do a bunch of different like body weight stuff. Um, yep. So like jogging in place, jumping jacks, sit-ups, push-ups, a whole bunch of different things like that. Um, that is my workout. So if I was taking gym selfies, it would be me in my office wearing pajamas <laughs> with like a 20-pound weight. Like, woo, I'm a big, tough guy. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just not going to play real well on Instagram, I don't think. No. no that, <laughs> might, that might even get like the state involved, right? Or, or – uh... Instagram pretty much says, okay, dude, enough with this, uh, profanity. What, uh, you talked about our Idaho trip and you talked about how that was challenging for you. So now that you, you, you worked your tail off before that trip, but still, I think that, you know, like you just said, it was you, even like the first day or two, you were like, whoa, you were a little bit mentally defeated. Um, so knowing what you know now, now that you've done it once, how are you changing how you prepare? What are you doing differently? Well, you just, you, you can you can prepare all you want, right? But if you live in 300 foot elevation, like I think where I'm at is maybe I don't even know, like 700 feet above sea level. That's what where I'm at. And then you're trying to go up to 10,000 feet. I mean, unless I have some kind of oxygen deprivation chamber, I'm I can't really prepare for that part of it, right? So I mean, last time I, you know, I had a shit ton of weight in packs and I would go on like four mile hikes. I do that a couple times a week just to get the legs used to, you know, get them worn out, try to get them tired. I did, uh, you know, I, I lifted weights, I did some cardio, that kind of stuff. And it's just continuing to do that same thing. And, and then I guess prepare mentally. So the last time when I, when I went to, Idaho, the time before that, that I was there was like seven or 10 years ago. So I, I completely forgot what elevation was like, you know, the, the elevation change was like, I, I completely, so it shocked me again. Now I know what it's like and I think I can, you know, better prepare for it since the increment in, you know, the time increment in between those trips, it was shorter. Yeah. Uh, We've we've touched on this a little bit over the years, but how much do you think physical fitness impacts your deer hunting? Like my deer hunting, yeah, in, in Iowa, you know, and or anyone's, right, right. I think physical fitness is it, it makes everything easier. Is it necessary? No. I mean, I if I know that when I'm in better shape and eating healthy. Throughout a hunting season, I'm more alert in the stand. It's easier to do my run and gun setups. Now, I've also had seasons where going into the season, I was fat as shit and out of shape and eating poorly. And it was almost like I had to force my body to get back into the the swing of things. You know, Uh, you're just sweating, setting up your tree stands and you're tired in the stand and you're falling asleep and stuff like that. So what I will say as far, you know, and I can speak on the tree stand style of hunting that I do, the run and gun tree stand style. It's easier if you're in better shape, but it's not necessary because I think it was in 2012 when I ended up killing, uh, uh, one of my bucks that's sitting here on the wall, uh, I was really out of shape. 
and I, I don't know, like, I just remember struggling, not necessarily struggling, but the, the, the hikes in and the hikes out were more of a challenge as opposed to other years when I was in really good shape, like 2013 or 2014, when I was actually in some of the best shape of my life. Cause I was taking these, these uh, workout classes. I that... thought you were going to say these steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just going to come right out and say it. Yeah, dude, I was juicing real heavy, and everything was easy for me. <laughs> that's the secret. That's the that's right. But yeah, dude, I, I think I think physical fitness is good for everything, right? If your if your body is strong and prepa- prepared, then your mind is also prepared in a way. No, but I, I, don't, I don't. But I don't think it's necessary in yeah. certain, you know. No, I agree. I think that it, I think it makes everything easier. And if that's like one less thing you need to worry about, it's a good thing. You know, there, there's so, there's so many variables outside of our control when it comes to deer hunting, especially these mature bucks that if your physical fitness is one thing that you don't need to worry about, if you, if you don't need to worry about, can I make it up this hill or can I hike in with my tree stand on my back all the way to that tough to reach area? If those things are, yeah, absolutely. No questions. Like that's, that's a good thing. I'd right. rather be in that situation than than struggling to do the things I know I should be doing. So, right. at the same time, I don't think you need to be Cameron Haynes. Right. Nothing, now, nothing against you know taking it very right. seriously. Good for you if you want to do that, but it's not absolutely necessary to take it that level either. I want to ask you a, a question. We've never really discussed this, and when me and you went out to Idaho, you had already been out west that entire summer fishing and hiking and you bent you were somewhat acclimated to the elevation and your legs were strong because you were up in the mountains doing a lot of hiking and backpacking and then here i come and i know you were waiting for me right i was (laughs) no honestly i i was we were not the same not only are you taller than me and you cover more ground per stride but I, you know, I was gassed within the first mile of that hike into camp and you, you know, you were having to wait for me a lot and you were having to wait for me during the hunts as well. What was, what was going through your head on that trip? (laughs) Well, I think the only thing, it was just like, there was a little bit of like, uh uh-oh, like Dan's going to struggle. And that is just to do a hunt like that. It's really hard to pull off a hunt like that if you're struggling because you know, there's so many, just like we talked about the deer on an elk hunt, there's so many things stacked against you already. Um, if just getting around is a challenge, then you're going to, you're going to struggle even more. So I, I, between that, um, and you you did fine. Like, I think what was good is that like the first day or two you struggled, especially I remember that first day, um, like we set up camp and then we went out for like a scouting hike. Do you remember that? Like yeah. we set up camp and then we went went off and did some glassing and then hiking back. Got water. After, yeah. Yeah. And then hiking back after dark, I think. I remember you stopping often and just being like, yeah. I can't believe this. I, I, I don't know if I can do this. And I was like, oh, man. Um, but – like two days into it after our, after the, after the tent debacle and after having right. to go back to town and buy a new tent and dealing with the rain and everything. What did impress me though, is that you just, you kept slogging through it. Like it was a, it was a challenge for you, but you kept, you kept grinding. Um, and you didn't give up. Like it, there never was a time. I, I don't think I ever can recall you once saying I can't do it or I don't want to do this anymore. Um, you kept going. 
So right. that was that was definitely admirable, and and the, the it was a tough hunt in general because the elk just weren't low low. They're the one the yeah. few elk we did find were way far off up high, and so we had we had our challenges ahead of us. But um, but you you kept going, man. So I I was proud of you for that. I I I talk to myself when I get frustrated, like, and I noticed that that you know when I especially. When my when my tent exploded pretty much and all that water was coming in and we had to come off the mountain, I was mentally almost defeated at that point. Like, yeah. how am yeah. I going to make it through the next four days soaking wet and, you know, now I got to go, you know, I'm, we're off the mountain going into uh, Jackson to get a, a tent that I paid $700 dollars <laughs> for. <laughs> Yeah, you got fleeced on that one, buddy. Oh man! Well, I needed it, and uh, so so anyway, you know, it's just boom. Like I got shit, shit on right away, and so like for me, I don't like to fail. So I had my my inner voice talking shit to me, basically calling myself <laughs> a pussy the entire time. Uh, I'm like, come on, pussy, don't you quit. You're just a huge, you know, you're a wuss. You're don't quit. You want to quit, don't you? And I was just like, mentally, that's what I was saying to myself. You know, like, you can't quit. You're a pussy. You know, you just keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit. And I was even talking out loud at some points doing that. And I think that's what kept me motivated. And and man, it worked because you kept going and I we kept it wasn't like at any point we said, all right, well, this is tough. We're just going to stay here. It was we still kept chasing them. I remember that one day it was still raining and I was like, all right, we need to go up this ridge. And we kept going up, 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 up that one ridge. I called it Stink Ridge. I don't remember if you remember that. But um, we finally saw a couple bulls across right. on the opposite ridge, so across the valley. Right. And I was like, all right, we're going to go after them. So we're, yeah. we went diving down in that steep ravine where we saw those moose and then mm-hmm. cranking all the way up the other side. Oh, man. Yeah, and it was wet, and we were slipping and falling, and, it was, and that was a tough little get-up, and you kept at it. So that, I tell was, you what, that was good. That, that picture – that that selfie that we took at the top of that when after we dropped down uh-huh. after we went all the way back up and then we got to that clearing and we made that decision well we can keep we can just keep going up or let's just go you know where we go back and regroup for the next hunt where i will i i haven't framed it yet but that is something that i will always remember in for my entire life is how physically demanding that that day I don't know if it was, I think it was a morning hunt yeah. because yep. we were, you know, and getting to the top of that and you could just see it in our faces that we were just worn out. Mm-hmm. And, but <laughs> I tell you what, it was, it was fun though. It's definitely type two fun. Looking back on it, it's a lot more fun than in the moment sometimes, but yeah, man, that was, uh, it was cool seeing those moose and yeah. it's, uh, God, if I remember right, that was the the rain just would not stop. We kept hoping oh, that we could get a break from it. You were wearing a black trash bag, <laughs> <laughs> literally wearing a trash bag. So you you had the deck stacked against you, buddy. Right. Well, I tell you what, if that's and, and I know it can get worse than that, but if you know it kind of evens out from here, my next hunt, even if it's half as bad as that, is still going to seem pretty damn cool. You yeah. know, easy. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, uh, let's pause here for our final break of the day for a word from our partners at Whitetail Properties. And Spencer Newharth will take it from here. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Justin Mason, a land specialist out of Illinois. And Justin is going to be telling us about what are some often overlooked things that buyers forget to communicate with their agents. You know, I think oftentimes buyers overlook the fact that they're already working with me as an agent. So if they're browsing online uh, and they see a property that they like, they may just kind of impulse and call that other agent. And then they forget to mention that they're working with me as their agent. So they ask all these questions and then call me back and, and tell me the news. And I say, well, did you first tell them that you're working with me um, just so that you don't step on the other agent's toes? So that's probably the most common overlooked thing that buyers, you know, forget to tell me as their agent. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Justin currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Mason. That's M-A-S-O-N. Ah, so you're going to do a Colorado elk hunt. Yeah. I, I'm leaning towards trying to pull in an elk hunt maybe in early September. With I still want to do my western whitetail trip this year. I don't have details figured out yet quite, but I might try to do a double Montana trip, a Montana whitetail and a Montana elk again. Um, so we'll see on that, but... Well, well, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things I've been like just sitting like dreaming about. Like I'm at that stage in my year where I'm just dreaming about all the different things I want to try to do this year. You know, um, so I've got this year I should draw an Iowa tag if I want yep. it, but I'm considering not. I don't know. Part of me is like, yes, I definitely got to go to Iowa because a bunch of my buddies are going to draw this year, and you know our friends down there. It's fun to get to hunt near them. Um. But I also have got all these other ideas. So here's an interesting trip idea okay? that I'm going to do. Excuse me. And we're going to have a podcast actually about this very soon. Um, if if It should be next week's episode. We're going to have a whole podcast about this. So I won't talk too much about it because we're going to talk a whole bunch about next week. Um, but take this idea in, Dan. Let me know what you think about this. Me and my buddy okay. Andy are going to go to northern Minnesota. Right to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, and we are going to do a canoe in backcountry whitetail hunt. So, get all your gear in a canoe, canoe up through lakes and portage across from lake to lake to lake, and go up a river and back, 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 back into this massive wilderness area um, where there's no motorized vehicles allowed, nothing like that. Um, awesome. into big woods, northern Minnesota wilderness, where there's moose and wolves and some big-bodied old whitetails, if you can find them, and live out there for a week. Um, I'm pretty pumped about that, and that's that's what I think I'm going to do this time this year in October. Um, we're going to try to pull off that hunt. And um, I, I've gotten more and more excited about trying to, like, do some, like, unique whitetail things. So yeah. do, like, kind of – adventure whitetail hunts so yeah so this is like my canoe and whitetail hunt um i want to do i want to go into the big woods of like maine or something and do one of these tracking hunts where you track a buck through big public land stuff um i want to do a backpacking mountain whitetail hunt someday i don't think i can do it this year but it'd be awesome to go to like northern idaho or one of these areas where you can find big whitetails and like 
cutovers at like 8,000 feet or something up in these mountains and backpack up in there like you're doing an elk hunt, but chase whitetails. Right. Um, that's something I want to do. I want to do um, more plains whitetail hunting. I love the Great right. Plains. So I want to do, I think when I, I think where I'm going to whitetail hunt this year might be more of like a plains, badlands, breaks type area whitetail hunt. Right. Um, so I don't know. I've just been brainstorming all these different ways of like doing a really cool whitetail hunt, but it's like very different than the usual thing I do here close to home. So that's kind of where my right. head's been at recently. Like, you know what else? I want to do a coos deer hunt, which is, oh, yeah. um, you know, basically like a desert, it's a desert whitetail. It's a small desert whitetail down in like yep. Arizona or New Mexico. So I'm wondering about how I might be able to pull that off next January. Um, so my, my brain's, uh, my, the wheels in my brain are turning a lot, but the one that I'm, for sure doing is going to be this boundary waters trip. That sounds pretty sweet, doesn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I just want to like, I love, I'm to the stage now where, okay, here, like, here are the things that I want to accomplish. One this year, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, age structure, right? We want to try to kill a mature deer or, you know, we want to kill an old deer or the right deer. You know, I think I'm going to just stop, thinking about it in depth and i'm just gonna shoot a deer that makes me go oh like whoa <laughs> you know what i mean like I do i'm know not what you mean. i'm not gonna put any real goal out there i'm just going to be if that makes sense and i'm just gonna if i see a deer that i want to shoot right then and there yeah i'm gonna have a maybe a hit list put together before and if that deer comes by, but if another deer comes by and I get excited and I'm happy about it and I'm going to shoot it, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that um, because, oh gosh, I don't know. This would have been like eight years ago or something. The first time I ever saw you was on a hunting DVD and you were, <laughs> you had just shot a big, I think it was like a two by four buck or something like that, if I remember right. right. And yeah. you shot that deer. And you turned to the camera and you said, that buck made me go, oh, so I shot yeah. it. And yeah. that like, I got such a kick out of that. And like your emotion and just that like authenticity in that moment was like, I like that guy. <laughs> and many years later, here we are. And you're, here we are. And you've come, you've, you've been on some interesting kind of journey since that point. And now you're thinking about going back to that point. Um, that's interesting to me. You know, yeah, you know, I think a lot of it's going to play a role. Like I'm not going to shoot a 120 inch two year old or a three year old. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I'm just going to shoot what I want to shoot. Do you right? want to, are you open to talking about what happened this year in generalities a little bit with the person who had some criticism for you? Is that something we can talk about or no? I mean, yeah, we can talk about it. I'm not going to name yeah. any names. Yeah. But so, I, I can, we'll talk about it. I'm, a, I'm game for that. So uh, let me, let me, let me, uh, I'll put the very, very vague thing out there and you can feel free to say whatever more you want. But someone that hunts near where you hunt saw the buck that you shot this past year. Right. And offered some comments or criticisms about the age of that deer and expressed some thoughts about maybe it might be good for you to hold off for older deer. Right. Is that a fair explanation of the situation? And then, or how would you explain the situation? And then wh how, what were your thoughts on how it was put to you? What was your, um, how did you take it? What do you think going forward? 
Hmm. Man, it's a tough one, right? Because I kind of get where this person's coming from. All right. So I hunt in an area where there is management, really, really good management in different parts, like to the west of my farm or to, to, yeah, to, to the south, to the west, to the north are a little ways is all really good management. So I hunt in a decent neighborhood. Now, the uh, area, uh, come on. You can't say decent neighborhood. Well, it's you great. Hunt, you hunt in one of the greatest neighborhoods in the country. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. But, be, dude, only because some – like there are properties in between these these really big managed. But, yes, I do get good residual off of what comes through, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll say that. Now, I got access to a new farm. And I didn't have, I didn't put trail cameras on it. I only hunted it one time before and, uh, in a completely different area. So I did a run gun in there, you know, and you guys know the story. I shot a buck that was really small. I'm thinking it could have been a two-year-old, you know, it it was definitely a three-year-old could have even been a two-year-old, but it had superior genetics. I mean, it was a, it, it might be like 145 two-year-old. Right. 140, 145, maybe. I don't know. Heck of a deer. Right. So, yeah. So it's a stud posted on Instagram. Right. That's what everybody does. I get an email or uh, not an email, but a text message from uh, someone in the neighborhood basically saying, hey, I just want to let you know that you shot a very young deer and it was it had great potential. Now we'll never basically now we'll never get to see what that, um, you know, what that deer turns into. Um, you know, I'm into shooting big mature bucks and then he gets into like score, right. And he's like, okay, here's a, here's a, a four-year-old that I passed. Right. And it was one of the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life on trail camera. You're saying that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this picture that he sends me, you know, and he's like, Hey, if you ever need to know what's in your, you know, what's in the area, let me know. That way you have a better idea of what to shoot. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then there's some images that start coming to my phone of these giants that not one person in their right mind would ever pass, right? Would ever pass. And saying, you know, this buck went from 190 to 215 inches. And so what comes to my mind is, uh, dude, are you asking me to pass a 190-inch four-year-old? Because <laughs> that will never happen, right. right? This person, you know, the some of the ground around me and their, their landowners are on a different level. They're on a level that is 1%, right? When you have thousands of acres to manage and you have, you, you can do whatever you want. If you want to pass a five or six year old deer and see what they turn into just to see what they turn into, these people aren't hunting for one seventies anymore. They're hunting for two hundreds. Yeah, I mean, you're in a. It's a totally different world. Totally different world. It's totally different world. Yeah, it's a totally different world than even most places in Iowa, let alone the rest of the country. Um, So, I know I want to be to be fair to this person who texted you. Mm -hmm. 
And it depends on how you take it. But, I mean, he did say, I if I remember because I read yep. the text, he yep. did say, you know, I apologize if this comes off as me being a jerk. I don't mean I don't mean it to be that way. He said some stuff like that. So I think he – I think this person – After the fact. Okay, yeah. So yeah, like a after I replied back, like I replied back, got it. That's all <laughs> I replied back after like these huge emails, right? And, yes, they manage to a, a new level and they want to be with the neighbors – you know, they want to, you know, and I would do the same thing, not to that extreme, but I would be like, Hey, you know, I'm managing for a certain deer over here. You can do whatever you want to do because these are not my deer. Yeah. And you know, that was mentioned after the fact, Yeah. you know, and I did get an apology from, from that person basically saying, you know, Hey, I, I apologize in a text. I apologize for those you know for that comment you know i should have congratulated you instead i you know started talking about management because it is so hard and whatever you know i don't I, i'm not on that i'm not on that level i doubt i'll ever be on that level but it it it, it made me upset because how is it the average guy I, i'm putting myself in the average joe category yes i get to like you take the state out of it right and you have large pieces of of public ground or uh, excuse me of highly managed ground in any state you're going going to be getting look even in your neighborhood mark if you had your neighbor in one direction had a thousand acres of man, highly managed property the caliber of deer on that property are going to be higher than what you're used to oh yeah right yeah. So if that person said to you, well, hey, you, you shouldn't you, you probably shouldn't, uh, you know, shoot that, that deer. You shouldn't have shot that deer. I mean, who, who gives you the what gives you the right to say that to me? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? No, I, I, I can understand. I can understand your perspective. Right. Um, I get and that's it. What, that that right there is a part of what drives me crazy about the hunting industry and the hunting community as a whole. We put all this emphasis on antlers because it's going to, we feel that, you know, if you shot a 200 inch deer, it would do big things for wired to hunt. Wouldn't it? I mean, can, can, would you, would you admit that if you shot a 200 inch deer wired to hunt would get a bump in some way, shape or form? I guess that's fair to say that, yeah, I mean, people yeah. have more interest in a deer like that, so probably stuff will get shared more, more people will talk about it, more people will see the picture, so yeah, sure. Right, so in the past five years, three years, whatever QDMA stats, we've lost three million hunters, so now what we're doing is we're, we're everything is focused on, on antler size, and it, it drives me crazy that antler size is a big thing. It, it's, it's a, it's almost like it defines somebody. This person has shot, uh, three, 200 inches. This person has shot 14 Boone and Crockett's. This person has, you know, shot 130 Pope and Young's or whatever. Like at the end of the day, if I am labeled as one of the greatest deer hunters and that's it, Man, I've failed at life because I don't want to. I don't care. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to, you know, well, dude, be I was, a good friend. I was gonna say I don't think you need to worry about anyone labeling you that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you're an asshole. Zinger. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, I do gen- know what you mean. generally speaking, I'm just like, I just, I get rubbed the wrong way a little bit when, and, and I come off as a hypocrite because I hunt in the greatest whitetail state in a very good neighborhood and I have access to great ground and I, you know, I get pictures of giant deer on trail camera every year. And, and I mean, That's, and, and you get excited about really big absolutely. deer and you talk about absolutely. these big deer and absolutely. I mean, and so, so I, I agree with you. I have the same concerns, but at the same time, to your point, I also understand why people get excited about that because there's something rare. Yeah. It's rare. It's special. Yep. It's unique. And it's just, it is a deer with a large or unique rack is just a cool thing to see absolutely, and to learn about and to chase. Um, so, so I see things from both angles. And then I also see like the, the management side of things. So not antlers, absolutely. but age, I see that. But then I also see how do we, how do we talk about management and the, and the benefits of management, um, which might lead to bigger, older deer. How do we talk about that in a way that is educational, but does not put down or make newer hunters or hunters with different goals feel bad about what they're doing or be discouraged about what they're doing? Um, because yeah, I a hundred percent think you should hunt for whatever you want to hunt for and have a good time. You know, don't get so obsessed with all this stuff. But at the same time, right. if you're into trying to find a big old buck or if you like antlers, I'm not going to hold that against you either because, because right. I do too. Right. Um, but if it, if the antlers are a result, if the end result of an antler is belittling or a negative comment or thinking that you're better than somebody else or, you know, all those, there's like all these negative connotations that go with it, then that's not good. Uh, Yeah. And I think that's, that's the, that's the key. I think Right. it's, I, I, and who am I to say any of this? This is just my personal opinion, but I'm all for having goals and whatever kind of goals you want to set. Yeah. Do what you want. Do what you want. Have your own goals, chase whatever it is you want to chase. Absolutely. Um, I'm also all for though, like sharing, Hey, here's the benefits to certain management things. Here's the benefits to trying to, you know, have a balanced age structure, or this is why it might be a good thing to think about ecologically to try to have older deer. Like there's a lot of health benefits to the deer herd and stuff. So, so this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'll say like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. Um, you don't need to do any of those things, but Hey, for food for thought, here's what's going on. I think if we can start having our conversations more in that kind of way, like this is what I do. This is why I'm into it. Here's some ideas, but not so much of this putting down other people or talking down other people or that like the stuff. Some of those conversations in that text message that came through were the benefit of the person who sent it were to the benefit of the person who sent it. Right. I, I, I shot that on 20 acres. The other person had access to like 1300. So maybe even more. So, you know, the reason that comment was made, I feel was, it, it was I, dude, I get it. I understand how maturity works. I understand that you should wait and try to shoot a mature deer. I did not shoot the mature deer. I, it was an accident basically. 
uh, it happens to everybody. I'm, I don't, I'm not going to take that away from the deer. I'm not going to say, Oh, I should have never shot this deer because that that's very disrespectful to the animal. Mm-hmm. And, and you learn from it, right? You just, you, you got to learn from it. So, so how about this then? So let's, let's flip the script a little bit and let's put ourselves in that person's shoes or let's, let's, let's do that. Let's say that's that I am, I am a person who owns some land or maybe you just have a lease or something and I'm trying to manage deer and I'm trying to right. manage this area because, you know, I've, I understand a lot of the different things about the benefits of, of quality deer management. And I'd like to see a healthier, more balanced herd structure. And, and yeah, you know what? I also do like seeing big deer because they are right. rare. They're unique. They're cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. So I like, so let's, let's even just say me, I have a 90 right. acre property that we talk about a lot where this Holyfield deer is. Um, and I don't own it. I don't have like that kind of control, but I am the only person who can hunt it and I can plant some food plots. And so I have personally have wanted, it would be great if more people around me would have similar management goals as me. So right. I, 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 it would be, I, it would be nice if more people had similar management goals, it would help the deer hunting. So I've always wondered like, how do you, how do you go about doing that? Or how does someone who owns land who'd like to encourage other people around to start having, you know, these types of conversations or to start maybe doing some of the similar things. And I think there's two ways people can go about it. I think there's one way, which is more so what you encountered where someone sees what you shot and says, Oh, well, you're never going to see big bucks or we're never going to get big bucks around here. If you keep shooting all those bucks, don't shoot little bucks. You got to shoot. If you want meat, just shoot a doe. Um, and they like attack you about it. I think that's going to, I think there's this, there's a certain group of deer hunters out there who attack, um, when it comes to this topic of like what you choose to shoot. So people attack people for shooting small bucks or they attack you if you don't have the same management goals. And that is giving quality deer management in general. It's giving that idea a bad name and it's making things a lot. It's just, it's giving hunters a bad name, I think. Um, so I personally think that going about things in that way is not helping anybody. And it's also not even helping that person achieve the goals they want. So even if, if you want to have more people managing in a way that might offer more mature bucks, if that's what you're going for, then I think my, I'm curious about your thoughts on this, Dan, but my thought has always been to have open conversations with people. So just engage absolutely. your neighbors. So, hey, so, hey, absolutely. first off, get to know your neighbors. So I've tried to get to know my, know my neighbors, become friends with them, share trail camera pictures, talk about some of the deer we're seeing, you know, just develop a, a, a relationship with there. And then naturally right. it comes up the kinds of things that I'm doing. So I, you know, I talk about the facts. So I've gotten to know some of my neighbors and through our conversations, I said, you know, you know I, I'm trying to, you know, it'd be great to have a, a more balanced age structure around here. So I've stopped trying to shoot two and three year old bucks. I'm, I'm trying to, to hold out for four year old bucks. Um, and I'm not telling anyone else what to do, but they're starting to right. understand that that's what Mark's doing. And Hey, here's a picture of a couple bucks that have made it now to that age. Um, and in those kinds of things and maybe passing along some information or some literature or giving a membership, a a get or like a, uh, a gift membership to the quality deer management association, because you just lots of great educational content. I think those types of things like just great conversation, open conversation. And if they then respond to that with intrigue, maybe they hear you say that you're passing two year old bucks or you're passing three year old bucks. And they might be, Maybe then they say, well, how do you do that? We never see two-year-old or three-year-old bucks. And then 
there's your opportunity to say, well, I've tried A, B, and C, and that seems to help, or I read this magazine and that seems to help, or whatever it might be. Like Then there's this opportunity for a positive flow of information. But if you just get out the gate and attack or criticize someone because of what they're doing, right away you're shutting the gates. They're not going to be open to anything. Um, They're going to call you a prick and you're – never listen to you again. Yeah. So, so that's like how I've always tried to approach these types of things because, you know, sure. It would be great if more, if in in selfishly a little bit, like it would be selfishly, it would be a positive thing for my own deer hunting. If more people manage the same way I would like to manage. Now I do think that it would benefit just the, the overall ecosystem. I think it would be better for the deer herd. I do think that probably for a lot of people, if they started doing some of the things, they probably really enjoy it too. But I'm not going to make those assumptions, so I'm not going to press anything on anyone else. Um, right. That's my own take. What is your perspective? If you could have, if you flipped the script and you were this, if you were the guy right. who had this great big managed land, how would you approach it now that you've been on the receiving end? Well, the first thing is right. It, I think a lot of it has to. It depends on how many acres you actually have, right? So if I own 40, 50, 60 acres, and I, and the person next to me was shooting, you know, smaller bucks or whatever and, and not doing what I would do or not do what I'm doing on my property. I'd probably have a conversation with them that would sound something like, uh, Hey man, uh, did you, you know, keep it simple, right? Hey, did you happen to see this buck and be honest with them? Because if you, if you start to lie and you know, Hey, I didn't see any big bucks this year. Well, they're going to call bullshit on you because they're, they're out there hunting too. So they know what's running around just as much as you do for the most part, you know, especially if they're running trail cameras. So you just be honest with them. Hey, check this out. Here's what I did. Um, you know, I found this shed antler. I think, what do you think? Does you think this uh, looks like the same buck from the next year? Okay, cool. You know, you have these, you have these honest conversations with people. Right now, I think the conversation has to be a little bit different. If your acreage is like from 40 or 50 to about 2000 acres, because if I go to someone and I have access to 2000 acres and then I come to a neighbor who only, you know, one of my neighbors who's, you know, 20, 30, even a hundred acres. And I say, Hey, here's what I'm doing over there. You could easily come off as a prick. And because that person's going to go, dude, you have, why do you care what I shoot? You have deer that big that don't even leave your property, right? They they never leave your property. They're born on your property. They die on your property, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's how much they have access to. Now, I think that the conversation has to be a little bit different. And if, if it, if the acreage is that much bigger, because you have to come, you're coming off as you're now you're trying to control the rest of the property around around them and not just that big chunk that you that that I own let's say and i think it just you have to start off slow you have to know who you're talking to and and just be be cool and be honest hey did you see the big boy this year no i didn't see the big boy here let me show you a picture of him and yeah. be honest and you show them the picture and yes that's on their property and there's a good chance that they'll never see that deer or whatever but if they do You've just, you know, you just become friends with them. Hunt, hunting, hunting is becoming like this secretive, right? It's like, oh man, I gotta be, gotta be quiet about my spots. Yes, I get some of that stuff, but it's almost like we're, we're not a community anymore at that point. We're individuals, 
and we need to be a community. Yeah. And Did any th- of that make sense? No, I, just it, bla- it, I blacked out. <laughs> it all it all made sense. And I think you're I think you're right. And I think that not only is that good for the larger hunting community, but I think in the long run it'll also just make it a more enjoyable experience for you personally too because and your neighbors. As soon as you as soon as you shift from an adversarial relationship with your neighbors to a collaborative relationship, it just becomes more fun. You know, because number one, if you have a positive relationship, the chances of something bad going on, like trespassing or shed poaching or what or poaching, those things go down once you have a positive relationship with your neighbors. So that's a good thing. Number two, you might actually end up making friends or like you said, just be able to have a, a fun opportunity to share pictures, to share stories, to do things like that. And then number three, hey man, I shot the big one. I shot the big one. Hey dude, I'll be over to come help you drag him out of the woods. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think making that a positive versus, Oh geez, you know, that's a lot better. And then not to mention it might also, if you approach it in a, in a positive way, it might also result in the the management goals that you want to maybe because you do become friends with joe next door and because over the course of a year or two he ends up seeing what you're doing and hearing about what you're doing and gets interested and says hey how could i do more of this on my spot um and then you get to talk about what you do and then all of a sudden joe next door he starts managing for four-year-olds too and then who knows maybe his neighbor finds out that Joe's doing all this and, and Dan's doing all this. And man, they keep seeing these nice bucks. I've always wanted to maybe see some older deer and uh, maybe I should try that too. And then all of a sudden this yeah. stuff starts to starts to grow and expand. But that never happens if you go into it with an attack mode, adversarial type approach. That, that is right. just, it's just not going to work. Right. And that's kind of, I'll be honest, that's kind of what happened with me. You know, it, it it came off and whether that was his intention or not hell and and we all know that emails and text messages dude if they're read wrong and yeah it's it, tough you know what i mean it's In, tough interpretation and, can can vary widely in that kind of thing absolutely absolutely so so i i kind of was put off and i just was i, I kind of shut the door at that point i'm just like okay well uh, i guess i don't need to communicate with you anymore and I don't know. We'll see what happens from there. Yeah. I, um, it's a tricky topic and it's, it's something that I think a lot of people experience. Um, and it's something that I think as land, going back to what we talked about way at the beginning of the episode, as access to land gets harder and harder and more people start leasing land or start buying land just so they have a place they can go that ramps all these things up even more because if you're paying money for a spot then you might care even more about what's happening on it or around it and you got all these people that are really really into deer hunting and have all these really strong goals and they've invested lots of time and money into it and they see everything in the media talking about big bucks big bucks big bucks it gets to this point where everyone's at this weird boiling point um that in the end oftentimes is not fun oftentimes it you know it makes the guy do things yeah you know it it leads to greed and it makes people do things that uh, you know they normally wouldn't have done like maybe hop over that fence uh, a couple yards or maybe throw some corn out or you know do some things that you know could potentially prevent them from ever hunting again yeah and i think in a time when we need to be working harder to bring in new hunters and not lose more hunters. This is something that we just need to be thinking about. Um, and Do it's, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you. That's something that I learned a lot, even from the 2016 season. 
I just the the phrase you just got to hunt your own hunt just keeps coming back to me more and more because I got so much criticism. This is the reverse. When I chose to pass Holyfield in December of 2016, I got so much criticism for that. Um, that that was just like a great reminder to me of like, you know what? You just you don't understand where I'm coming from. You don't understand my goals. You don't understand the experience I've had or the experience that I want to have. Just let me hunt my own hunt. You hunt your hunt. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Let me hunt my hunt and don't tell me what to do. Um, and I just think that could be applied to the larger deer hunting community sometimes. Right. Um, I, 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 and yeah, it's, there's a lot of like specific things that concern me a little bit. Like when you get into these topics on like a grander scale, like trying to take a management objective and apply it to an entire state, um, like antler point restrictions or something where I understand the underlying benefits to these types of things. I understand the positives that can come from these things. And and personally, I like these things. Um, but I think sometimes the way that people try to push them ends up really hurting the, the, the goal and the hurts the cause in the long run because they, they take this attack mode and that's just, uh, that's what concerns me sometimes when I see that kind of stuff and things like what you just experienced happen. So I just, I want to, I want to be clear that like you know we we talk a lot about management and we talk like i i I find myself thinking about this a lot where dude i like big racks you know like you said i i i would love to shoot a boone and crockett or a 200 incher or whatever and when a big deer walks through the the timber i get excited um and yes i want to shoot uh i want to shoot a four-year-old i want to you know, I want to do all these things that I talk about, but at no way ever do I, the first thing you should do, I should do, you should do, everybody listening should do. If they see someone shoot a deer and that person's happy because they shot it, congratulations, man. Heck yeah. Like, that should be the very first thing. Like I, I often come off as a, I feel like I come off as a hypocrite at, at times because, you know, we talk a lot about maturity. We talk a lot about, um, you know, big bucks and antlers. And I, I show these pictures of some of the deer that I have on, on my, my property, but I just, I don't know. It, it's, uh, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's like, it's like surfing, like the movie point break with, <laughs> with Patrick Swayze. And he's just like, dude, it's the journey, right? Uh-huh. It's all about the journey. It's not about the wave. It's about the journey. Wise words. <laughs> Wise words from Point Break, right there. It's true, though, man. And yeah. I think everyone's just got to. You know, I'm all about. Everybody's got to take their own journey. Yeah, take your own journey. I'm all and have your own goals. I mean, I am. We've talked about this often. I'm all about goals. I'm very goal oriented, so I like to have my own goals. But I don't want to push those on anybody else. Everyone else, yeah, hunt your own hunt, do your own thing, ride your own wave with Patrick Swayze, whatever you want to do. And you know, and that being said, my goals sometimes change too. So. You know, I, I've sometimes approached hunting seasons with goals, like an age goal in an area. Um, I've sometimes thought of, you know, to some degree, I like to challenge myself and w- like to kill a quote unquote bigger buck um, than I did last time. Sometimes like, I, okay, in Michigan, I haven't killed anything, you know, over 125. It'd be awesome to kill a pulp and yuck buck in Michigan finally, or whatever it might be. And that's arbitrary. Yes, it doesn't really matter, but I like to set goals. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think, um, But at the same time, I'm also going the other way sometimes where now I'm looking at and planning certain trips where going into it, 
I don't care about age or size as much. Like this back, this Boundary Waters trip I want to do, I'm already thinking I'm going in that with a anything goes type mentality. Like I just want to go on that. I want to have that experience, and I'd like to kill any deer deep in the big woods of the Boundary Waters and quarter this sucker up and put him in a canoe and, and canoe out 15 miles and portage with him on my back. So if a spike buck came through on that kind of trip, that would still be a really awesome hunting experience that I would love to to have. Um, and I don't think anyone should criticize me for that. No, um, and, and, you know, in a public land hunt in Montana where maybe I shot a two or three year old buck, um, like this, I, don't, I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but when I went to Montana last year, on that trip, I can't, I went into it with like really high expectations. Like I, based on the hunt I had the year before and based on like some scouting I'd done, I was like, you know what? I bet you I can kill like 130, 140 inch buck easy. Like I want to shoot a, a no brainer, like a buck that I see that's like, Oh, no doubt about it. It was like <laughs> what I thought. And so because of that, I passed on a bunch of like nice bucks that probably body size it there it's a little i had a hard time judging body size because a lot of these deer out there are smaller bodied than our midwestern bucks so when i was looking at them i was like ah it's probably young deer probably young deer when i went back and looked at video after seeing all these deer and being able to compare them to others now i'm kind of like okay i was probably like a mature buck it wasn't really big antler deer it was like a 100 inch 110 inch eight pointer but that was that could have been a three or four year old buck that i passed um looking back, I was like, dude, I should have shot that buck. Like what a, that would have been an awesome experience to kill another public land buck out there that I was waiting a river for half a mile and doing all this stuff and, you know, living on my camper. I mean, that would have been a, a great accomplishment and a great way to end that trip. But I went into this with this arbitrary, um, goal that, you know, maybe, maybe it was, a, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But, um, but I think going into it now, next year this year i guess i'm gonna have a little bit different goals when it comes to like those types of public land hunts especially if you've never been to the area before like was the case for me um you know a decent buck the best buck of those that you saw that's something that from me personally that seems like a pretty decent goal that i think i can you know something i can work towards but something also that's achievable um and can end with some venison in the freezer which is the ultimate end-all product i'm looking for um so I don't know. I, I think I just blacked out and started rambling too. <laughs> it's good to have those, but um, it's called it's purge. You purge the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to reflect on this kind of stuff. And I've I've been doing a lot of looking back on these things of the past year, but haven't necessarily been able to verbalize it all. But I don't know. Going into I'll the 2018 season. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say going into the 2018 season. Right now, I've got like a goal of I want to kill a mature buck in Michigan. Would love it to be Holyfield, but there's also a couple others. Maybe they're going to be in the area, and I'd be stoked with any one of those. I want to, you know, do some more public land hunts. This Boundary Waters public land hunt, I'd like to kill any kind of deer. The Montana trip, I'd like to kill a mature-ish deer, a three-year-old or better. Um, and I want to do some cool experiences. Like I want more of these trips that take me into new places and yes. test my board, test my boundaries and, yes. you know, just doing different stuff. And that might result in me killing a great big mature buck. It might result in me killing nothing, but that's okay. Like I, I'm looking for an experience and like something that's going to push me to learn more and become a better deer hunter. Um, I don't need to kill 175 inch buck. What I'd love to, sure. That'd be awesome. Um, but I don't need that to be a happy hunter. Right. Absolutely, man. That's the same thing with me. You know, Iowa probably go after a mature buck. Like uh, that's how, that's kind of what I always start off with. Who knows what will happen? 
Uh, I'm not going to make any promises. I'm not going to try to have any expectations. Just go out and look for that deer that makes me go, oh, okay, yeah, here we go. You know, and then elk for Colorado, probably the first elk that presents a shot, whether Which, it's a cow or a bull. That's what I was going to um, ask. You th- you're going to take a cow? Dude, why not? I, I've yeah. never killed. I've never killed an elk before. Uh, I think it would be a good start to, you know, my Western adventures. Uh, and then, you know, and that's, if I do another thing I was going to, I was going to say is that there's a potential I go to do another out of state whitetail slash mule deer hunt. So, and that, that would be probably a first deer, especially if it's a mule deer, right? First mule deer that uh, presents a shot, whether it's a doe or, or a buck. And, you know, a lot of that depends on what you're seeing on the trips, right? Whether yeah. you think you can hold out for uh, a buck or not, or a bull or not, or whatever. But just the experience of harvesting a new species is a win for me. Oh, yeah. Right? Heck yeah. In a new area, new species, right. have that experience. I, I, I 100% think it's a good idea to try to shoot a cow. On my next elk hunting trip, I might even just try to shoot a cow, even though I have right. killed a branch antler bull, because that meat, to, uh, just to have that experience first off of quartering, right. skinning and quartering out an elk and carrying that thing off, off the mountain on your back. I mean, that is something that I think everyone should experience. Absolutely. Um, and then having a freezer full of elk, that too is something everyone should experience. Um, so I hope that works out for you because that's that is some good, Just good stuff. Have fun, dude. Yeah. Have fun. And back in the day, I, I made a promise to myself when I was when I was doing all this filming. I said, if I'm not, if I start to not have fun anymore because of filming, I'm going to not film anymore. So I stopped filming and. I fell in love with bow hunting again. I feel I was more observant with my surroundings and, and not worried about, you know, the the footage and all that shit. And just being out there and being one on one. And I I feel like for me I can still document that. I might pick up and start filming again. Who knows? But it's all about fun. And I want to because this is you know why we we think it. We dream, we think about this deer hunting and hunting all year round. Why put any additional stress on yourself by, you know, having these unrealistic expectations going into a season of having to harvest a big buck or having to get it on film or, you know, some guys like that. And that's cool. But for me, I just feel like, I don't know, I want to ride that wave, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's something that I know I'm always going to kind of struggle with finding that right balance point. Because I, I love the goals. I love pushing for something difficult. I, I love that next going for that next thing. But I also am always struggling with how do I not get too worked up about it? Because, you know, you want to, like you said, you want to still be enjoying the moment. So for me, that's something I think that my whole life I'll be always working on because of my personality. But man, tell you what, right now in February, there's no time now. where there's no time where it, it all sorts of optimism at this point. It's just optimism and excitement and planning and thinking about what's coming up this year. And uh, dude, I'm pumped. And the other day, the other day on Twitter, you said, "Hey Dan, how you know you're stoked?" <laughs> and you were like, "What an eight point five or a nine? I said, yeah, I said I was at an eight point nine stoke level. Yeah, like I was a six. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed. Point. Well, no, I mean. You got it. You can't be a 10. Like 
there's there's years where I was 10 the entire like white tail <laughs> now I got like kids and shit so I can't be like I can't be flipping through Google Maps looking for pinch points you know while my kids are crying <laughs> and my wife's like get off the <laughs> iPad right yeah, so, yeah. you know I, I can't be I can't be that that 10 level 10 anymore but after this podcast man I'm telling you I'm telling you, I'm 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 mid eights right now. That's good. It's a good place yeah. to be. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I'm, uh, man. I wish we didn't have so much snow because I really want to do some scouting. I really want to. That's another Absolutely. goal of mine this year is to ramp my scouting to another level. I I really want to take it to a whole different level. I've I've scouted plenty in the past, but <laughs> it's not been as much as I think I need to. So I love it. It's like. Like, here's me. I have all these goals, like, because I'm in the same boat with you. Like, hey, man, I want to get out and I want to do some more scouting. I have three kids. And you're like, hey, I want to do this thing that takes up more time. And I have I have another thing that I just added to my life that takes up more time. <laughs> yeah. Kids. 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 Yeah. That's that's the constant. Uh, well, now it's a, a new constant for me and for you. It's been a long time constant challenge but uh we'll figure it out i'm a big and i'm sure there's a little naivety here because i haven't experienced it yet but i'm a big believer in the fact that you can make things work if they matter and if you get your kids involved if you get your family involved and so i'm i'm excited to to keep doing to keep pursuing my whitetail passion and my my other passions i have and to to share that with my family that is very exciting to me too so you think you think anybody's still listening? No, at this I, point? Think, I don't think so. I think it's literally you and me talking to each other here, and uh, we can talk about whatever we want now. This is like just our own personal chit chat time, and right. right. <laughs> but you know, I think we did pretty good considering the fact that we had nothing planned for this because we had right. a whole we had a whole slate planned out for our guest. I had all sorts of questions and ideas and topics, and that all went out the window. So. We managed to fill an hour and ten minutes of time with nothing. So that's right. Do you have any well, final parting thoughts? No, I think um, uh, I'm going to try to eat another peanut butter and jelly sandwich before supper, and uh, I think that's it. That's I guess that was the first thing that popped in my head. <laughs> PB and J. All right, that's right. Well, uh, thanks, thanks for BSing with me here, buddy. And uh, let's uh, let's get back together soon and, and record that interview with uh, with a great deer hunter who is going to share some helpful information that we <laughs> certainly did not do. Okay, sounds good. All right, and that's going to be it, folks. So uh, just real quickly here, want to thank our partners who helped make all of this possible. So big thanks to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, the Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. And finally. Thank you all for being with us on this one. Thanks for tuning in for our little BS impromptu conversation. Hopefully you still enjoyed that. And of course, until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules 
from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.